I mean, well, let's let's not dive into semantics yet. He's a decent individual, and he did some decent work. <laughs> That's high praise. That's high it praise. Is. It is. I, and I hear, I hear his work was centered on a topic that was appropriate to discuss on a, a podcast that would be of interest to people who own technology of sorts. Oh, my God. Hello and welcome to Interface. My name is Andrew and with me as always are Chase and Ian. So Chase, I heard you almost burned your house down. <laughs> well, that's that's not entirely true. So, okay, if you if you make fun of me, <laughs> let's let's be fair. I uh, didn't realize that humidity sets off fire alarms, but in better Who'd news. Who would particulates in the air set off smoke detectors? Bizarre. You know what? I don't write the science. I just turn them on and then hook it up with monthly fees. You know what? I'll tell you what, though. Tell well, me. My friend just got his master's degree, and I hear he did some pretty high-quality work. <laughs> Ian, did you hear that rumor? I, I, I'm still trying to figure out if that was a segue. <laughs> it, was, it was not. There's no way that could possibly be qualified as a segue. <laughs> I, I did hear that, uh, that someone, uh, 33% of us, just got their master's degree. Yeah, so I did my, uh, my master's project on uh, incorporating social information into 10-foot interfaces. Uh, and... Uh, a 10-foot interface is one that you use from 10 feet away. It's a very clever name. So these are typically interfaces that you would use on a TV. So uh, like a, a game console or a uh, like a streaming box, like an Apple TV or a Roku. And the idea for this came around when uh, the Xbox had a refresh of their social tab. And uh, I saw it over at your place, Chase, and thought it was total garbage. Yeah. I mean... Okay, go, go ahead and tell me about what you thought was garbage, because I've actually grown to like some of the things that were new to me at that time. So we're talking about the next generation Xbox interface or new interface, whatever you want to call it, but the reboot from a couple months ago. Yeah, we should be clear. I think the interface over overall is a pretty good refresh. There's a lot of good stuff they did in there, like clarifying where things are and making sure that uh, like there's sort of central, consistent places to find things. One could almost say that they made it seem like more like OS X with the, uh, the toolbar at the top. Because now you always have stuff in consistent places all the time. But well, if uh, ever, if, no, no, I was just going to say, if you want to emulate someone, you better emulate the best. Am I right? That's absolutely right. <laughs> I don't understand why they changed it. I hate that they changed it. So I can I can provide some insight, at least from my use of it. At least I'll make some assumptions. So one of the major problems when you go to do anything in the prior the original Xbox One, that name was not confusing, interface, was that if I wanted to invite you to my party or if I wanted to dive into some social feature or chat or achievement, it was two or three steps minimum. They took a lot of those highly used features and then put them on like one click away with their revised top-level menu system. So, you know, friends and party and achievements, all that stuff were sort of one touch away. And I, I get that, but, we, you know, we played um, Battleborns the other day is that right there, Battleborn. there it is and successfully might i add i couldn't Battleborn, yeah i i couldn't figure out how to get out of the party because and, and part of that's my own fault because i don't play a lot of video games <laughs> but like you were like i'm gonna keep playing and i was like okay i'm gonna head off how the frick do i end this thing because my brain is like oh i have to go to that little double tap menu and i can get to friends from there and it wasn't there because they've redone stuff. And so I was like, I got to go out to the home screen. I got to figure out how to get to where. 
I'm looking through the apps list down below. It wasn't where I thought it was. And it's because they hit it over <laughs> in that tucked away menu because clearly logic of some sort. But to me, that was not good. Did you find? I did. I mean, I mean you must have found it. Otherwise, your excuse wouldn't have held and you just would have had to spend more quality time with me. But um, it, it's good that you eventually made it there. I would ask, did you get there through the interface or did you do the, the double tap and then you had the main screen with all the high levels of so the friends party? I I got there through the main screen and my my alternative that I was about to resort to was just hit the power button on the Xbox. It'll end the call. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to suggest. And, there it is. <laughs> like that's, So this is good primer, right? That's not like, that's not a good user use, interface. Like if if my my experience is I can't get out of this. My go-to solution is just kill it. Like <laughs> I feel like an old man. So once you figured out how to do it, did it seem like it was a better way of doing it than it was before? Um I don't know if it's any better or worse, but it was now I know it's there. So now that I figured that right. out, it, I, I shouldn't have that issue again. And I ended up playing Battlefront with another friend on Tuesday. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to head out. And so I knew exactly how to get to it. But I still had to go out to the home screen over to it because I don't know whatever that shortcut is. Because they don't teach you these things. You're just supposed to figure them out. This is the problem with refreshing interfaces because you can make it better or more consistent. But if you totally change the information architecture or the way it works, then people who used to have the old way down and memorized your crazy security system to get to it now can't figure out how to make stuff work. That's always that's always the the gripe, right? When you change interfaces, though, it's people who figured out had put the time in and they'd learned the shortcuts or power users who knew the quick you know quick bar access or whatever, right? Like you change it on them and they're the ones to complain. But generally right. speaking more people are going to be more successful over time, or at least that's the hope. Right. And then that's why you have, you know, this huge build of craft and lots of old applications where people like they're primarily supported by one or two companies and people need to have these features and need to have it in a certain place. Cause that's how they've always done it. Yeah, I agree with that. And you even see that across platform, right? Like where the, you know, um, Android and even windows phone have the pull down notification menu. And I don't know who spawned all of that or like, the swipe up from the bottom, like shortcuts menu with the flashlight and all that and your Wi-Fi And mm-hmm. like, I don't know if that was iOS first, but that design surely looks iOS on some of the newer phones that I've seen. But with all of that, there's a whole lot of issues, right? So there's, a, there's obviously a problem with these interfaces. Would you care to enlighten us as to how you're going <laughs> to fix, solve our, all of our problems and make us want to play games together online? Yeah. I mean, the easiest solution is just to hire me as a chief engineer at Microsoft. <laughs> That makes a lot right. of sense to me. So that seems like the obvious choice. Is there an alternative that you can uh, you can pass off some wisdom to us? <laughs> yeah, so what I focused on my my master's project was uh, this idea of, of incorporating social information into these interfaces, especially in those where they don't exist. Because like in the, uh, the Roku and the Apple TV and that kind of thing, there's no information at all about what people are actually, like what their friends are doing, uh, what they're watching, what they're playing, or anything like that. And on the Xbox and the PlayStation, there are, but they're sort of cordoned off into these community tabs. Uh, and one of the biggest things I learned in doing my research and my user interviews was that people are not interested in going to their 10-foot interface, like popping down on their couch with their game controller, and then looking at a bunch of achievements and stuff and a stream and a separate tab on their TV. That's just not what people want to do. They want to sit down and play a game or watch a movie. So my question was, how do we fix that and how do we incorporate uh, this social information into these big screen interfaces? So a good meaty question. I mean, that feels like 
you could just drop the mic and walk away, but I'm going to beg you, and I hate begging, can you tell us some successful implementations or ideas that you think would be successful in giving us uh, in what types of self- social information would be useful? So I assume you're, because I saw your presentation, I don't need to say, let me guess, because I know what you've presented, but can you talk about some of the social information that you incorporated in both media and games that you found successful or things that you would be think that would be successful? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing that I found and that I thought was fairly obvious was, and, but that but people don't get right. So was making sure that the things that you want to actually, the social information that you have is included passively, uh, which is to say that you don't want stuff like actually that people have to go seek out. You want it to be as clear and simple and easy to get to as possible. Um, so what people don't want to do is go browse a social network on their TV. This is not helpful. What they are doing on their TV is playing games, watching movies, watching TV shows, and importantly, they're finding new things to watch or they're seeing what their friends are doing and then watching or playing those things so they can be in the same sort of knowledge as their friends. So like if all my friends are going and playing Battleborn during the open beta weekend, uh, I want to know that. I want to see what they're doing. I want to see what's going on inside those games so then I can use that information to decide whether or not I want to do that. Yeah, that makes a the lot key of thing sense. you do in this interface is present information in a way that's actually useful to people, useful information to people, and then do it in a way that they don't have to go seek it out themselves. Sure. So, how to present people with useful social information and not garbage social information, and that makes a lot of sense, especially going back to what we first talked about when we saw the new interface. And this is true. This is true of multiple social platforms with gaming, and I think I assume media, but I've just seen better, more examples in gaming where the information that you're being presented that is of your friends is kind of Garbo auto-generated BS. Right. It's like, you know, 10 of your friends completed the intro level, but instead of saying 10 of your friends completed the intro level, you get like 10 little cards or whatever in the feed that all say the same thing. It doesn't provide you any useful or valuable information. Yeah. Okay. What you really want to know is like, let's say I've made 10,000 goals in Rocket League, but my friend has made like 11,000. I want to know that. And I want to have something that tells me how many goals I need before I can beat them. Cause that's like a call to action to get me into the game and get me wanting to play. And it's information that's useful. It's actionable. And it's much more interesting than just the auto generated garbage that comes up all the time and other things. Yeah. Do you, do you think that the competitive aspect of that or like the, the competitive angle of that particular example where I've performed, you know, I've run, 500 meters in Rayman and you've run, you know, 550. So I need to see that you're just 50 meters farther than me or whatever, right? Like is the competitive call to action the most effective one? Or did you see other examples of that? I think the competitive, uh, so I wasn't able to test all these things just because there wasn't time. There wasn't energy. I didn't have the resources to do it. The competitive call to action, I think is a really interesting one because it's something that exists in a lot of games already. So you have like in uh, racing games, you have ghost drivers. So you can race against other people by seeing what they've done, but you're not actually racing them at the same time. Sure. Uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you that that's one of my absolute favorite examples. Sorry, I just, I, I love that example because um, I had a friend who I played a lot of uh, Xbox with. So my friend Scott and I would play Forza and we would do the ghost driver thing where one of us would do a lap and then you would load in their time and you would actually get to right. race their ghost. And that was a great way. We do weekly, we just pick a map in a car we do a weekly challenge and it was super fun but there was no system level impetus for that that was like us thinking hey this is a cool thing we could do but i could imagine that'd be a super easy way to engage people who own the same game and who are friends or whatever right and if you can't all be playing together at the same time you know it allows you to do a bunch of different stuff and so you can play asynchronously if you need to which makes sense because especially as we all get older and we have more responsibilities we can't handle like we, we can't all sit down and play four to five for two hours a night together um Actually, the inspiration that came playing games like Just Cause 
where it'll just sort of passively track the things that you're doing in the game and then uh, tell you how you rank up against your friends after you've done that. So like in Just Cause 3, if you fly with a wingsuit, it'll just tell you like, okay, you've just flown 500 meters in a single jump. Uh, you beat your friend's score by 20% or something like that. Oh yeah, that's good. Uh, uh, yeah, and my touch point for that was Rayman because it does that. And I just, right. I want to, I have to share this anecdote and I, we've talked about this briefly, but I think, I think, Ubisoft cheats a little bit with Rayman. So they have these daily challenges where like, you'd see how far you can run or how quickly you can do something. And they'll categorize your time on the, you know, like of all time submitted for that challenge. And so you can either be placed in the bronze, silver, or gold, or whatever you get. And I think if you get anywhere near the border, so if the cutoff for gold is, or sorry, if the cutoff from silver to gold would be 500 meters, because that's the number we like today, and I got 410, I'm still way off. So I should be placed somewhere like, you know, down a few notches but it will if you're anywhere near that border they'll place your little marker right on the edge so it looks like you're super close to getting gold without having any, any exact numbers and so you think oh i'm so close i'll just play it one more time i'm pretty sure they lie to you <laughs> and it's something they leverage all the time for free to play right like that yeah. exact kind of thing yeah, especially yeah. if you're gonna get money to somebody it makes sense to try to get them to come back to the game over and over again Okay, so wait, do we? That's so. That's all really good stuff with competitive gaming. Do we have examples? Did you have examples, or I, I'm sure, I don't know if I know a specific one, or like, do we know another example that would cover that same thing for media? Like, how do we get people to engage with media in the same way? Because there isn't really the competitive nature. Like, guess what? Ian watched Game of Thrones in eleven hours or whatever. Can you do better? Like, <laughs> Ian watched thirteen hours of content in eleven hours. Oh my God, you're Smart so speed. good at content watching. Smart speed, man. You, you just, he 2x YouTube the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, before we move on to media, just another thought on the, the gaming side of things. Like, you know, for me, I'm not a big gamer, and we've briefly touched on that, that I'm, <laughs> consoles are not my thing. <laughs> um, but, You're getting there. But um, I do play some of, like, the simple Apple TV games on the new Apple TV, and they have a lot of similar mechanics to that. Um like you were talking about with uh, Rayman, where like Alto's Adventure is a great example. I have a, a bunch of friends in Game Center, and I play Alto's Adventure, and it's the same kind of thing. You had a, a long jump or a long trip in the wingsuit, or you made it X distance or got X score in the game, and so then it marks you against your friends. So you can see, oh, I did so much better or worse than so-and-so. And, and for me, I, I look at it, and it's like, oh, I was really close. And some of it's kind of that mental model of, I think... Oh, I'm I'm really close. You know, he went a hundred. Like my friend Jim went a hundred and nine thousand meters or whatever in the game units in the game, and I went eighty nine. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's kind of close. So I'm gonna play again and try to beat that because I think I can. And so, using your friend's achievements in that sense is fun, and they build that right into the game. So you open the game up, you look at Game Center, and you can see all the different achievements. But then you can also look at the global level of achievements and see, wow, even that 109,000 meters or whatever is nowhere close to the top edge. Yeah, right. Bunch of cheaters on the national, international leaderboards. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, whenever you have competition, people are, will cheat, right? But if it's with your friends, there's less impetus for that because you, like, your friends are going to keep you honest. Yeah. We, yeah, we hope so. But, and just for reference, yeah. Alto's Adventure is the like endless runner snowboarding game or that is, something that like is you, correct you your like, goal is to snowboard down a hill do backflips grind rails and catch llamas and oh, okay excellent it's <laughs> iphone ipad apple tv nice and that's a one touch input just it reminds I'm me like, a little bit of that line runner game yeah it's very similar to line runner. it's it's basically press down to jump 
let and and hold the flip let go and you stop flipping so it's oh yeah it's okay so the like single on the iphone and ipad it's literally just touch That's the screen cool. or let go of the screen on the apple tv it's pressed down on their mode or let off their mount um sure but that's one where i i've i've drained a lot of hours in alto's adventure because i see my friends in game center and the things they've accomplished and then obviously it has in-game mechanics where it's like oh this round you have to get ten thousand points or collect 40 llamas or whatever <laughs> so are you seeing those are those like comp- competitive advertisements or calls to action or whatever are you seeing those on your phone or just specifically on in the game center app on apple tv you, or when you're f- if if you're in competition in a game with a friend or two people are playing the same game and you have like notifications on game center on on your iphone or ipad yeah when they get a new high score or when they beat your high score it will prompt you and say so and so just beat your high score and when you tap on that notification it basically gives you two options like ignore or play now and you hit play now and it takes you straight to the game and you're ready to go there should be a third there should be trash talk should be play now ignore or like text that person you could say you're a pos right (laughs) yeah right (laughs) texting is a problem on these things though right because nobody wants to input text with a gamepad not with a gamepad right but this is so so there's two segues here and you you touched on this nicely but so, so there's the there's the external device discussion right like how do people use their phones or how do they use their tablets or whatever as an external tool to interact with the game and with their friends versus we're sitting with the gamepad and that's the only input device i have so pros and cons right. do you think we need both like what i don't know what was your takeaway after talking with people yeah, well, there's some nuance here because uh, it's not necessarily just like I'm using it in one context or another. People will use it as second screen devices. They'll use them individually. It really depends on the the intent that they have when they sit down. So are you there to play a game for social reasons? Are you there to watch something for social reasons? Are you like, what do you, what is your intent when you do it? Uh, and so you could definitely use a, like a tablet or a mobile device to allow people to input text or create like social content on these devices, but that's generally not what people want to do. Uh, instead, you have things like you have quick chat. You have like the Rocket League quick chat, which lets you have 16 different messages that are mapped to the gamepad, uh, to, to the D-pad. And that allows you to have a fair amount of conversation with somebody uh, just based on the context and like the timing and the speed and everything you do like that. You just learn to assign a lot of emotion to the these 16 basic phrases that you get to say. Um, and I think that works really well because what you don't want to do is force somebody to have to use a whole bunch of devices just to do what they want to do with the system. Um, and what people want to do is they want to watch TV and they want to know what their friends are doing and they want to play games and they want to talk to their friends, but they don't necessarily want to do all of that all the time. And so you need to pick the right tool for the right job. Is that so? So there's a question Is that picking the right tool? Like at this point, we're going to encourage people to use their phones at this, at whatever for this thing, or is it? we have these options available and we'll just give people the, we'll, we'll give them the 16 phrase quick chat option, but we'll also allow the phone to be used. Do you have like, do you think there's a preference there? Yeah. Well, go ask the developers of smart glass. <laughs> uh, what do you think as the person who spoke with people who did these things? Yeah. So I think that people are going to pick the option with the least amount of, uh, of friction between what they want to do and what it allows them to do. So the, the quick chat is so ubiquitous on Rocket League, even people who play with a keyboard and mouse or who play with a controller on PC, yeah. like people just use that because it's easy, it's fast, and it does a good enough job of getting the point across that it doesn't really matter what you do afterwards, right? Like you can spend a lot of time talking and chat, and some people do, 
but then you know you're taken away from the game it takes longer this is designed to be quick and easy and it fits the speed of the game one thing i thought was really interesting was the fantasy star online method of doing it where so the, the problem here was that you have a gamecube controller you're interacting with people literally all over the world who don't speak the same language uh and you have to be able to do this in a way that doesn't obscure the screen because you have a tiny little it was like 320p screen and so what they came up with is this sort of they call it like picto chat or something no that's the ds thing um they've got it, it basically what it is it's like stickers that you uh, stick on a uh, uh a speech bubble and it allows you to create a whole bunch of different images and sort of almost like abstract art communication where you the way you stick things together and the colors you use and what items you use and that kind of thing make you allow you to communicate messages in a sort of i, I don't even really know how to describe it we'll, we'll put a picture in the show notes because it's so bizarre i've never really seen anything like it before yeah i hadn't seen anything but like the, that either it's an interesting idea i don't know how successful it was um I, no one's really done anything like it in the past but it, i think there's something to be learned from that which is that especially with the rise of emoji and that kind of thing you can do a lot with very little so you can have emoji displayed on screen. You can have reactions to things. You can have those mapped to a D-pad and then maybe let people search for something more complicated after if they want it. But you can do you can do a lot with not... You can communicate a lot with very little to do it with, with a fairly small vocabulary. Yeah, I would say that, I mean, just in normal daily Slack use, often I'm behind in conversations, so I like to read the backlog and then add reactions, right? So that, is, that allows me to interject in line, essentially. And I think that type of system would be fairly simple to implement with a gamepad, right? Because you could have a fairly diverse amount of selections with whatever number you're giving, let's say it's 16, if it's four per right with a four input, you know, D pad or something. So right. that'd be a, a decent way to allow um, some variability within your discussion. Also the, the fantasy star online makes me think of if you, if you've played Wii U much, lots of times in game or like in the, uh, Oh, I don't know whatever the general menu is called, where all the little me's are walking around, you'll see little pictures pop up because people will draw pictures at like t particular points in the game or like in the social area. And then you'll see their little drawing pop up that they drew on the Wii U pad, which is interesting because you can safely assume that they have a little flag, but for what country they're from. And the vast majority of them that I see are not US. I don't know if that's intentional yeah. or not. <clears throat> I think the Wii U pad is actually a really interesting way of handling this problem because it allows you to do anything like that. Uh, but instead, I think Nintendo did a really smart thing by instead of forcing you to use a keyboard on it, you can draw on it. Uh, it comes with the stylus. Its primary way is drawing. So you can, like, you can write things to people, you can draw pictures, you can do whatever it takes. And there's a lot of options afforded there for contextual responses and that kind of thing. Um, it makes more sense to do something like that, which is, I think, much more natural for people than to do, like... Uh, throw to have like smart glass and throw a keyboard on that so you can type stuff in on your xbox or have like that weird tiny little keyboard that you type with your thumbs on sitting between your xbox handles oh yeah or whatever the, the the grips on the xbox one controller the chat pad but but to be fair some people really like the chat pad like there's there are some individuals who really want to chat and and it, this could be a constraint of the user right like we're just what we're seeing the people who like the chat pad just might be the same people who use xbox live or i'm assuming playstation as an equivalent um you know as their primary social media platform so if they want to talk if i want to talk to ian or i want to talk to you and i only have a chat pad that's what i'm going to use yeah but i think it's a fairly uh niche population niche niche that, that's a small percentage of the overall users who want to do that <laughs> yeah it's no i know it's pretty niche yeah um it's pretty niche eh? um <laughs> 
I think, gen- I mean, with anything else, the right design is the one that suits the people's needs, but also the limitations of the device. That's probably true. Um, and so, you know, the, the, a gamepad has 20 different ways of inputting something. A remote has, I mean, it depends, but like the Apple TV remote has seven. Uh, it really has six because one of them is Siri. And so people, they don't, you don't want to do that much, right? You don't want to have to sit around on your couch with a keyboard and type stuff in all day just so you can sit down and watch the newest episode of the Mindy Project. Man, I don't want to do that. That's for sure. Um, so, yes. So, I know. <laughs> okay. So, counter example then, the current ecosystem that seems to work really well is so when we played Battleborn the other day, we were obviously just passively talking in our party as we played the game. That works and feels really good. The thing we should have done, we shall have to do it next time, is snapping Skype, which is my favorite thing to do when you play games mm-hmm. and you get the whole like I can see you and we can like high five weird in a weird way. Um, but that is the current sort of implementation of successful communication while playing. Right. I don't. That seems to work really well. And I and I actually have a like if you go back to the Xbox 360 Netflix application, it used to be you could invite friends and watch. It would like show the show at the same time. You could watch oh, whatever show at the same time and you could talk in the in your party. And we that's did a very that. Cool idea. Yeah, right. And like, I don't know why it doesn't exist on Xbox One because I know people did it. I, I myself was one of them who did it sparingly. But even back in high school, <clears throat> we would do, we would run whatever, like some type of, not Tungle, but whatever the um, precursor to Xbox Live was when you did, you just faked, you spoofed your Wi Fi connection. So you'd run a LAN. We'd all go into a Halo lobby. So there'd be like, you know, 10 plus of us in a Halo lobby spoofing, you know, online. Anyway, we would sit with an open lobby and then we'd switch to, Cartoon Network and watch Family Guy together and talk, right? So, like, that's obviously yeah. a thing that people do. I just, I don't know if that's another media solution. Maybe it's, maybe it wasn't that popular. That's why they axed it. You've actually, you've hit on a pretty interesting point, which is the difference, the different ways people consume media. There's pro social and non pro social ways of doing it. And so, like, all having Skype snapped or all getting together and talking while you watch Family Guy, like, that's one way people watch or play games, but that's not the way everyone does it all the time. Right. So, like, if you are watching, like, a new movie that you haven't seen before, or a new TV show, or you're watching Game of Thrones, like, a little chat is okay, but you don't want people talking the whole time because you're there experientially. You're there for the plot and the TV show. Um, where something like, actually, Family Guy is a really great example of a more social way of watching or playing something like that. I will say that for me, um, yes, I agree that movies are not the right platform for having a, a social conversation at the same time. But I can see, and you already see it on a lot of TV shows now with the tweet along live with the show thing. Yeah, that I think that says a lot about what kind of TV shows you're watching well, there, dude. It's like everything now has a, a hashtag something along with it. But the, the, no, I think they, you're right. They want the conversation, and that they encourage you to use Twitter during that downtime between, um, like when during a commercial break, they're like, "Oh, go on Twitter and and talk about whatever's going on." That's the time that you use to have the social conversations, and that I would much rather have a conversation whether it's via an IM thing or a Skype call or whatever in inside of my TV ecosystem than go on Twitter because I'd much rather just have that conversation within my group of friends than, yeah. than the randos on the internet who... <laughs> right. And actually, this is all sort of circling around a point that I found that I thought was pretty interesting, which was that people tend to rely on one source to determine if they're going to select something new to watch. Uh, but all that goes out the window if they have information about what their friends are doing right now. So if you know if you know your friend is watching something or playing something right now, like that is what people want to engage with over anything else. Oh yeah, that's 
I mean, for me, I, I was one of those people, right? Like if I see two of my friends are actively playing a game right now, that takes absolute priority over whatever else is happening because the idea that I could hop in and play with you guys is much more enticing to me than making a few minutes or hour progress in whatever single player game I'm playing. Right. And so like maybe, you know, you see your friend is watching, watching family or watching something like that and you hop in and you just shoot the shit with them while you're watching the other. Like that's, that's a really cool use case that I, hasn't really been explored at all except for, you know, it used to be in the Xbox, but it isn't there now. And now that you have a lot more options of that sort of thing, it would make a lot of sense for Netflix and Skype to team up together, unless Microsoft's going to release their own Netflix competitor or whatever, to, uh, to, to make all that stuff work nicely together. And there's been some work into social TV that has shown that people are interested in doing that. But people have a lot of sort of, there's a lot of stuff that they're willing to put up with and a lot of stuff that they absolutely will not tolerate. And one of the things that I won't tolerate is interruptions. Um, oh, yeah. Unless you have it in the right context. Wait, wait, what's the um, right context for an interruption then, as an example? Right, so that's if you're watching something socially. So it's if you're watching Family Guy and your friends are around and you want to talk, talk about it. Or it's uh, you're playing a game specifically for the purpose of doing wacky shit in it so you can share it online later. Oh, okay, yeah. That makes sense. Um, the thought, especially when Ian was talking about like doing the live tweeting or tweet along, whatever, and you know, we see lots of reality, like Sarah watches um, like The Voice or you know, whatever, you know, like major like network televisions reality shows right and they have a lot of this tweet along right um <clears throat> and that's just really popular and for good reason right but i feel like to be in that like if you if your your motivation to take part in that twitter conversation is to feel like you're part of the culture to feel like you're part of the you know the phenomena right and you touched on this andrew in your presentation with talking about like i want to tweet about game of thrones or whatever like i want to like share content from the show to feel like i'm part of this massive movement or be part of the culture where like yeah. the conversation that we're just having on the side in Skype or in our group chat or iMessage or whatever, like that's the more realistic message that I think most people want to have. The other is like, I want to be part of this thing. At least that's what it looks like to me. Yeah. It's, it's the Twitter thing is especially interesting because uh, there is so much Twitter activity for a given TV show. So and the average episode of scandal generates almost six, 600,000 tweets every that's episode that's it's cr- crazy but it's all like oh my god no or she did it or i like there's nothing really substantive right it's more like reaction i mean it can be but it's not um, yeah but it, i mean it can be it can be a lot more than that too it, it is reaction but that's sort of what twitter exists for right that's true that's probably true or or it's just out there to bash whatever like so in our in our slack while we're doing this we said bachelor at 2016 there I do know that during Bachelorette, there was a lot of hating on certain characters of the show, and so you'd go out to see, you know, who was who was talking smack about who, and so. Oh yeah, I I was excited that you're going to say the quantifiable hate or something like. Well, that, that's essentially <laughs> what it is. Like, I just want to make sure I'm not alone in thinking that these two are right. high on their date or whatever the, the case true. may be. Um, <laughs> Which man, I missed an episode. <laughs> that's not always what people want to do. They don't always necessarily want to feel like they're not alone or they're part of a group, but that is a huge driving factor in these sorts of things. Yeah. Man, this may so now sadly, what what we're alluding to being the solution is Google Plus. Still, like we're circling around the Google Plus friend circles, right? Because in theory, yeah. in theory, that is a really great system. And for whatever limitations Google Plus had for whatever reason, Google Plus itself didn't take off. The idea of friend circles or you selectively choosing who to share what content with 
is really attractive just as we talk about it. Right. Well, for, for me, another good example of this that's not Google Plus um, that already exists not in a TV situation but in a music situation is the way that like Last FM and Spotify work together. So you listen to music on Spotify and then Last FM can actually post that you're listening to it on Facebook, which can get really annoying because you know a song is not 30 minutes like a, a TV show or an hour like a TV show. It's three minutes. So you're constantly updating your Facebook with, hey, I'm listening to another song. I'm listening to another song. I'm listening to another Reminds song. And, and it goes on and on and on forever. But... Imagine those old AIM days where someone would like get a bot that would do that and yeah. they would change their away message yes. and you get like 40 notifications over the course of an Exactly. Hour. But the idea that, that you want to share what you're doing or listening to or whatever with your, your group of friends and that Facebook is the platform you're sharing with. Um, at one point there was, uh, at least I thought a way you could say you're watching something on Netflix and ha- or watch Netflix and it would auto share to Facebook. But I don't know that I, that ever really yeah. caught on, but that would be a way you could be like, I'm watching, um, whatever that, Wisconsin murder show was that I can't think of the name of now. Making a murderer. That's the let's, one. Let's not talk about that. I, my, here, I'll point my camera at the conspiracy board. My no. <laughs> um, Wisconsin murder show. <laughs> you guys knew exactly what I was talking about. Working title. <laughs> um, yes, making a murderer. That's the one um, that you could post. I'm watching Making a Murderer, or I know I saw, you know, about eight nine weeks ago. Ten. Well, by the time this comes out, twelve weeks ago, thirteen weeks ago people talking about watching eleven twenty two sixty three and how excited they were and how great of a, a first episode it was and how cool it was. And this is a great show. There needs to be more shows like this as a Hulu original. And um, the idea that now people create the conversation off of that. But again, this all goes back to now you're creating a, essentially a second screen experience. You're watching the show on your TV, but you're interacting socially on your device and so taking the idea of of being social while you're doing your uh you're watching your show or whatever um but you're you're taking the social experience to another device to do that whereas like with gaming like you talked about you don't want to have to put down your gamepad to pick up your phone yeah. or your iPad or your computer or whatever to go now have that conversation elsewhere That's really that's really interesting, right? Because that's pretty simple in your explanation to say that the device that requires your constant input is not the device that will really be the one you want to be using a second device with, right? As opposed to where you're taking in media or content that is passive, you have the opportunity to use an external device. That makes sense. I think that's really interesting. What we're dancing around here is that what people don't want to do is be interrupted while they're doing something on these interfaces. So you snap Skype to the screen because you want to be able to do things simultaneously. You have your second screen device because you want to be able to watch and also tweet. What you don't want to have to do is pause your TV show so that you can then go to Twitter on your smart TV's web browser and type using your remote on there, maybe, I don't know, using T9 in the number pad. Like, that's not what people don't want to do. They want to have sort of, it's not a flow state, but they don't want to be interrupted while they're doing the things that they're doing. And so uh, you need to design the systems to allow people to do that while also taking into account the limitations that they have interface-wise. And so what I really looked at from, from my master's was not necessarily how to use these interfaces for that kind of thing. It was how to do selection stuff. But there's a lot of interesting conversation to be had about, like, uh, if people want to talk, if they want to feel like they're in groups, is it enough just to give them information about what their friends are doing? Or do you also need to provide a way for them to talk to each other about it on these interfaces? Or is it enough just to leverage the existing channels for that? Oh shit. That's really hard. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about all the potential there, right? Because then it's like, 
we know what people want. Do we give them the tools to do it? We know what we, we know what people want. Do we suggest tools to do it? We know what people want. We don't want them to do any of these external things. We want to keep them within our own ecosystem, right? So there's a lot of these actually difficult questions that would be, I don't know. It's really hard to nail down because if you do the thing where you try to keep everything in house, like we'll take Xbox Live for an example, and you say, "Hey, there's people or or PSN or whatever, right? Any gaming network, any gaming um, community, people are making lots of content and they're putting it on YouTube, right? And so anytime you have someone who's streaming on or Twitch, right? So you're someone streaming and hosting on Twitch or streaming and hosting on YouTube, you're having people exit your ecosystem to go to another ecosystem. And that seems like a really difficult thing to want to endorse. So I can only imagine that the preference would want to be to keep you in-house as much as possible. But how to do that tactfully is really difficult. Well, I mean, for the user, you just don't do it, right? Like the best solution is the one they're already using. Yeah, but I'm saying like, say you owned one of these, say you own or were in charge of PSN social, whatever. And you know that people are exiting your ecosystem for these uses. How would you keep them in-house? I don't think you do. I think the right solution is to not bother doing that. I, I, it seems like a fairly uh, one-dimensional solution. It, it's, not, it's, it's a shallow way of solving the problem, which is like, okay, people are sharing to YouTube. We can't have that for, what, loss of revenue or something like that? So we're going to make our own solution for it. I think what you do is you incorporate YouTube into the system you already have. You take what exists, what is already doing a better job of doing that what you could do, and make sure that people have access to it in a way that allows it. it could, if, if it's easy for you to, sh- to stream on Twitch and to share to YouTube and to do all these things, then people are going to want to use your system more than the one that makes it harder to do that or shares it in these isolated areas. Sure. And that makes sense. And I agree with you for the record. I was, it's just an interesting problem to think about because you have essentially a captive audience. And if there's a way to you know capitalize on them more so than pumping, pumping them out of the ecosystem, but provide them a path of least resistance. And a good example would be like, browsing on the internet where if you used to click a link right generally it would change whatever your page is if if it was some type of pop-up or like a re, like an external redirect but now more often than not if you click that type of link it opens a second tab right so then once they close the tab they haven't lost you because no one someone is much more likely to re-engage once they close whatever the that external tab is versus if you just took them away from your site anyway do you have do you have uh do you have some words of wisdom to sort of move like close what you found up, you know, what was your what big takeaway findings from what your project was on with the 10 foot interface in general? Yeah. So people rely on one source of information to make their selections. I'd say they're going to be from like reviews or it's going to be from their friends, from social information they have, uh, or they might, they'll probably rely on more than one, but they prefer one as their primary method of making their selection. And you have to support that, uh, that information that they're not going to change that. You are not going to be able to change that. You just have to be stuck with the fact that people are always going to want to look at reviews or they're always going to want to talk to their friends about that sort of thing. And okay. so that means your interface has to support that selection behavior. Okay, so then question would be, in your recommendation, it wouldn't be pick the one that more people do or pick one to master. It is because both of them are very important, offer both of them. Offer a way for people to do both. I think so. Okay. Then you start to run into problems with information density. I don't know how exactly you solve that. It's not an easy thing to do, but I think you, there's a definite need for that. I, I I don't know if that's an option or if it's an adaptive interface or something like that, or if there's just a way that you can prevent pre- figure out what they're looking for and then give them exactly that when they need it, um, probably through magic. That would make sense. But but the I mean we say magic like half jokingly, right? But but personalizing a generalizable model is actually I think something that's happening right now and is actually very popular. So in the sense that we use 
um, Siri and Google Now and Cortana or whatever, those start as generalizable models and then they train to you as you logged into your own personal account. So I think that's a really plausible explanation for where to move forward with the the 10 foot interface problem. So like you give both or you offer some, like maybe you're doing AB testing on an individual account. And as the person chooses one over the other, you start to, you, you promote that type of um, information more over than the other. That could just be the way it goes forward. And real quick, new user onboarding is always a problem for these sorts of things. The thing is that there's a lot of users that are already using these things. And so you have a, a wealth of information about them already that you can use to pre-populate these sort of interfaces right off the bat. Sure. Okay, so that's so that's the one big thing, right? Like people people have set ways that they source decisions, essentially. Like they have these they have these ways that they prefer to get information and make decisions with. Did you have anything else that you thought was really interesting or you wanna uh, no, the big takeaway was just, I mean, it turns out that you have to give people the information they want, and the information they want is based on their experiences. Uh, I guess that would be it. I'm trying to think if there's a really... so great when you say No, that. I mean, so yeah, like, it sucks when when or like, all right, now make a recommendation, and we go, well, I'm going to wave my hands and hedge, so good <laughs> yeah. luck making a choice. It, but I feel like there's a lot of, like, really nuanced things that you found or, you know, just things that we've even touched on in this discussion, which would make for much better experiences on a ton of levels, even if it's as simple as, like, hey, sign into your PlayStation and you're, we're going to allow you to connect whatever services. So, like, maybe you connect. I don't know what the hub is, but it turns out it's, like, it's increasingly being Facebook and Google accounts, right, or whatever that is. You sign right. in with one of those. All your other services come with it, and then your new platform is able to exploit that knowledge. So then if they know that you're a whatever type of person, a social person over a review person, then they don't have to sort of experiment on you or ask your preference. They just get that from your existing behavior profile. Yeah, I, there's that's definitely one way of doing it. I think if I was going to be responsible for designing an interface like this tomorrow, uh, I would provide a feed of passive information that lets people get the sort of the social information they want that brings in outside sources of interesting things that relate specifically to the things that people are interested in looking at, uh, provides the social information they want to see. And then importantly, at the very beginning, it's uh, provi- some sort of interview process where it asks like, what do you look for? How do you look for? What sites do you use? Will you rely on your friends? Is there some people you don't trust? Taking all this information in like a very brief sort of wizardly setup and then using that in the very end to create uh, to sort of populate the feed of stuff that they want to have and yeah. then monitor what they look at and then use that to shape your recommendations down the line. Yeah, it seems like you could use a lot of the existing like Facebook-like information yes. and Twitter follows, right, to like shape all that already. Fa- yeah. Facebook's already doing that with yeah. your newsfeed. Now they just have to put it yeah, on exactly. your TV screen. Right, exactly. Right. I mean, it's like, how yeah. do you successfully adapt it, right? Yeah. Oh, that's really good. If you want to find show notes for this episode, you can head over to interface.fm slash uh, four. Is this four? This is yeah, four. Interface.fm slash four. And get the notes. The big IV. Oh, show. Sure.